parables, and, and we're going to pick up actually two of them this week that are they're side by side, and they're a continuation um, uh, of the one of the other. And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 44. We're going to do 44, 45, and 46. And the parables that we're going to look at today are the treasure and the pearl. Man, this is, this is good. Beginning with verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we have a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. We have a merchant who is in search of fine pearls and who finally finds the one pearl of great value. So I want you just to imagine with me for a moment as we're going to walk through and kind of talk through what must it have been like to be that merchant? What must it have been like to be that man that found that field. But we're going to pray first. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Because you've got to, got to see this from, what if, it, what if it happened today? I think, I think Sean just picked up some, uh, some, some timberland behind, around his area here, here recently. So, so we're going to use Sean for an example today. He didn't even know this. But it's a good example, so everybody can relax, all right? All right? So, including Sean. So Sean picked up some property behind him, and it's got timber on it and all this stuff. Well, what if Sean decides, I'm going to go out, I'm going to walk this property. And, you know, I, I, I bought, you know, he's, he's got, there's a lot of acreage that's, that's there and, and connected to them. So we said, you know what, I'm really going to walk the whole thing. I'm going to try to crisscross this entire property, and I'm going to see every tree, every blade of grass. You know, I want to see this stuff. And all of a sudden, he's walking along. And, and he feels the ground kind of spongy in a spot. And he thinks, huh, what is that? And he kind of looks at the grass and the area around and thinks, that looks a little different than the area around here. And so he, he kind of stomps on it and he kind of hears something like that. He, oh, hey. And he, he thinks, well, I wonder what that is. And so he goes back to the house and he gets him a shovel. And he comes back and he starts digging and he finds there's this massive box, very antique looking, that about a foot down, and, and this thing has started to cave in some. That's why the ground was getting a little spongy. And he opens that thing up and it is full of gold bullions. That, that's, that's like, you know, money. It's not like bullion cubes for chicken, chicken stuff or anything. And, and so, and so he, man, he's like, I have found pirate gold. I don't know why it's here in Alabama, but hey, it's my example and I'm going to use it. You know, they could have been traveling somewhere. And so, and, and, and he, let's say, and he hadn't bought this property yet. He's thinking about buying this property, but he's been sitting around going, you know what? We really, I don't, we don't have the money to buy all of this property where this is. And, but guess what I've just found? There is no telling what this is worth. This may be worth millions of dollars. And Sean goes home. Y'all know Sean. Y'all know Angie. And he goes home and says, hey, Angie, we got to do something. She says, what? He says, we got to sell the house. 
We got to sell all the vehicles. We got to sell everything, all my tools. We're going to have to sell the concrete company. We got to sell everything. And she says, what is wrong with you? Right? It might have, might have been accompanied by throwing something. I don't know. You know. But she's, what are you thinking about? And he says, look, I can't. Because he really, I, I, the Bible says that this guy, he, he covered this up. And, and then he, he's going to keep this secret till he can go. He says, you just got to trust me. Angie, you just got to trust me. We got to sell everything. I got, I got to buy this piece of property. Why? I, we've got to have it. Sean, we just need to wait and save up. No, no, no. We've got to sell the house, the cars. We're going to sell all the clothes except for what we got on. Pick whatever you want to wear, but that's what we got to get rid of everything else. You know, your shoes, they got to go. Got to go. You know, the, everything. Why? Because he, he said, oh, I realize there's this treasure over there that is worth way more than what we've got. And it's worth way more than the, than the temporary inconvenience that we're going to go through. What, well, now can you imagine? He finally gets her convinced. And she says, all right, I don't know why, but I'm going to trust you. I mean, you are adamant. You're saying we've got to do this. Ashley and Brett are going, I think he's crazy. I think he's done lost his mind. He's going, I'm telling y'all, I know what I'm doing. And they're going, it is just timberland. I mean, what? It, you're going to sell everything. What are we, how are we even going to live? I'm just telling y'all, y'all got to trust me. Cutting the timber off, that ain't going to be. I'm just telling y'all, y'all got to trust me. Can you imagine the neighbors and the folks here in our church? Sean came in and said, on a Wednesday night, says, hey, guys, I need y'all support. For what? We're going to have a yard sale at our house on Saturday. Awesome, dude. What are you selling? Everything. Everything's got to go. I mean, we're going to, yeah, he's like one of them furniture stores, you know, doors closing, you know, everything. Just make, a, make an offer, you know, and, and, and we're going, okay, I mean, so you're selling everything. He goes, no, everything. The house is for sale. The dogs are for sale. You know, the, 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 the cars are for sale. The, the Broncos for sale, which Angie's probably going to fight him over. I mean, everything's for sale. You know, it's all, hey. You imagine what people would be saying? I think he's done lost his mind. I think he's done gone crazy. What on earth is he thinking about? He is, he's giving up everything that he's worked so hard for his whole life to buy some property. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is that the man in this parable seems to think that this treasure might get away from him. He realizes, I need to pursue this. He covers it back up. He hides it. And he says, I must go after this. Now, it's not my example. It's Jesus' example. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in a field. And he covers it back up. And he goes and he sells everything that he has in order to go and buy this field. So he now, we could, get, we could get in deep trying to, well, why did he cover it back up? You know, what's that got to do with the kingdom of God? You're saying we ought to cover up the kingdom of God and not let people know? No, this guy was so determined that I need to get this treasure that he was, he was latched on. I don't want it to get away. I don't want it to be something I miss out on. I don't want it to be something just somebody else gets. I want to get this thing, so I'm going to go and I'm going to sell everything that I have. He views the treasure 
as being of such value that he is willing to sacrifice every other possession he has in order to obtain it. But people that didn't understand the treasure, people that didn't know the treasure, people that didn't, had not seen it, had not partaken of it, they would look and they would say, this is ridiculous that you're giving up everything in your life in order to pursue what you say is this great treasure. Then we have a merchant. So here's an interesting thing to me about the comparison of what Jesus does with the merchant and with the man buying the field. The man buying the field was not looking for treasure. You know, we don't even know that he was looking to buy a field. We just know he happened to be out in the field. And he comes up on and finds this treasure. So he wasn't even necessarily, the Bible doesn't give us any indication that he was actually looking for anything. I want to tell you that there are people that are outside of these four walls that they are not looking for God. And they're not looking for God to do anything in their life. But I'm just going to give you a term that may, it may bug you a little bit. I'm just telling you God's going to ambush them. I'm just telling you. They're not looking for God, but God's looking for them. They may be just walking through the field of life and they're going to stumble across the treasure that is Jesus Christ. And when they realize the importance of the treasure, even though they weren't looking for it, even though they weren't trying to find it, they weren't pursuing it, but yet when they see and recognize the value of it, then they're going to give up everything in their life in order to pursue Jesus Christ. But then we have a merchant. We have a merchant and it's a different scenario. The merchant is actually looking for pearls. He's, he's religious. He's a guy who knows. He may be of some other religion. I'm just, I'm just weaving the parallel for you here. That's why it's a parable. It's to be applied. He may be of some other religion, but he is pursuing after God. Now, if we actually looked at this scripture, I would show you that it, this is super interesting to me. Huh. I want you to see the difference between plural and singular. All right? Here's from my, from my teachers, Joni. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Plural. I would even tell you that this is applicable to people out there who are pursuing and believing that there's many, way, many ways and many gods. They're pursuing the plural. But what happens? Who own finding one pearl. One pearl of great value. He went and sold all that he had to buy the one. He didn't look and go, well, that's awesome that that's that one really great pearl. But you know what? I, I want to have four or five pearls. I want to have, but he had been in pursuit of pearls, plural, until he found the one. Man, he went from, he went from pursuing the many to finding the one. The one that stood out. The one that was greater than all the others. The one that was of great value. And so he surrendered all they had. So if he had other pearls, because he was a merchant. If he had other pearls, if he had other gems, if he had other... All this stuff, he went and sold them all in order to pursue the one. Pursue the one. So we have someone who the Bible gives us no indication that he's out looking for anything and he finds Christ, if you will. Because even though we don't see from a parable standpoint, you know, it's not like this treasure's jumping up out of the ground and, and saying, hey, here I am. But that's the image. The image is this guy is not looking for this, 
and yet he finds it. But then we have someone who is over here pursuing, and they're looking for all this little stuff, and all of a sudden they find something that is greater than what they ever could have imagined. I'm telling you that both of those people are in our world today. The challenge is going to be is what the church does about the message of Jesus Christ, who is that pearl of great price, who is that treasure that has seemed to be hidden, the mystery of the Bible tells us has been hidden, but now has been revealed to us that Jesus Christ, we saw him, and we saw God, and we see him through the word, and we have that, that treasure, we have that pearl, and so there are going to be people that I believe will come across our path, that will come across just their normal life, and God is going to move in their lives, and they will find him, and they will abandon all for him. But then there, there are going to be those that we're going to have to be prepared for, because we're going to have to be prepared to give an account of the hope that is in us, and to be able, being able to explain to people who are pursuing after gods, who are pursuing after higher powers, but being able to say, this is the one pearl that is of great price that you need to go sell all of those other things and get all of those other ones out of your life because this is the one. I want to share with you what that looks like in the rest of the Bible. Matthew chapter 19 Verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. See, when, when we truly find Jesus, then a heart that is, that is firmly and fully committed to God will forsake everything else in pursuit of him. That's the way it will appear. We will be willing to give up every other possession and everything we have in order that we might have Jesus. Jesus then told them, said, hey, everybody that's, if, you've, if you feel like it's a big deal because you've left a house, or if you feel like it's a big deal because you've answered God's call to the mission field or to somewhere else, and you've had to leave brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or your land or these other things for my name's sake, he says, don't worry. Because in eternity, you're going to be repaid for this. Not only will you receive a hundredfold, he said, but you will inherit eternal life. How many people, truly, if we walked out in our world today, even people that don't want to believe in Christ, if we went to them and said, here's the, here's the deal that I'm willing to make you. I have been given the ability to give you eternal life. All that you have to do is be willing to leave the house that you're in, you need to take up the message that I'm going to give you, and I want you to go promote it. And you may have to move away from, from your brother and your sister. You may have to move away from your mom and your dad. You may have to move away from the property that's been in your family for generations. But here's the, here's the trade-off. You will have eternal life. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So in one path, man, this is difficult stuff, guys. Let's be honest. This is not the stuff that, that, um, that you don't pack auditoriums out with this kind of message. And I'm just being honest. Because what you're telling people is, 
Jesus proclaims something far different than what people want to hear today. Jesus didn't proclaim that everybody was going to become poor. He didn't proclaim that. But what he did proclaim is all those other things, all those possessions, all of that stuff is not of importance to him. In fact, you may end up leaving all that stuff behind, even if that is in your attitude. I'm not saying God wants everybody to move out of your house and go live in the woods or anything. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about, you know, not saying you need to get a tent. Or you need to go, you know, make you a hut. That's not it. He's talking about that all these things need to become so secondary to your pursuit of Jesus Christ that you're willing to walk away from any of those things if it was to come between you and your relationship with God. If anyone would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. We're going to come back to that at the end of this message because... I want us to talk about this cross. But this parable that we just looked at, these two parables, the treasure and the pearl, they give us an illustration of two things. They give us an illustration of the value of the kingdom. I wonder at times if we truly value the kingdom of God. I know we say we all want to go to heaven. But some of that is just us wanting to avoid going to hell. Right? We just, oh, I don't want to go and suffer. I don't want to go experience all that stuff, so I want to go to heaven. And, and we have often tried to preach people into, into heaven by trying to get you to avoid hell. Which I've heard me say before. I don't, I don't subscribe to that. I'm sorry. Because the Bible says that it is, remember, that it is his kindness that draws us to repentance. Yes, God is his judgment will will uh, you know will will condemn sin in the end, but but the word also tells us that we're condemned because we don't believe, because we don't believe in Jesus Christ, followed him. So I, I'm not worried about trying to convince people that well you need to come to Jesus so you won't go to hell. You need to come to Jesus if the Holy Spirit's drawing your heart because God is showing you unmerited favor and grace. And he has done this unspeakable thing, this unbelievable gift that he is wanting to give. The kingdom of God is worth everything. If we understand the value of the kingdom, then we will understand the sacrifice of one who would enter it. So I want us to look at five things We're going to turn to a passage here in in Luke 14, but we're going to look at five things that you have to forsake. God, really, Jesus is going to lead us through these things that we have to forsake in our pursuit of the kingdom of God. You say, well, why am I pursuing? If I'm saved, I'm going to already go there. Really? I I agree that's true, but why are we? Well, so we don't need to pursue Christ? See, that's the same mentality that says, I got married and I told her I loved her, and that was 20 years ago, so I don't have to tell her I love her today, and I don't have to buy her flowers, and I don't have to take her out to eat and whatever else, because I don't have to keep pursuing, I already got her. We still pursue because we love, because we want to know more, because we want to understand more, because our love grows. All right, five things that we have to forsake in our pursuit of the kingdom of God, because it is something that we should be pursuing, that we should be trying to grow, that we should be trying to mature into. The first one is we have to forsake pride. Luke chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. This is Jesus speaking. 
He says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Hey, hey, brother, um, the governor is here, or, or this guy, and I, that's his seat. I need, I need you to move over here so that I can put him there. That was the Nathan inverted version of that, by the way. He will say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. <laughs> so he says, look, if you come walking in, don't come walking in like you own the place. He said, somebody invites you to dinner. He said, don't come in. Oh, I'm going to go sit at the head of the table. And there's a big old chair over there. I'm going to go sit in that chair. Because he said, then when it turns out he's invited somebody else who is more distinguished, then he's going to come and say, hey, I, I need you to move over. And then you're going to be embarrassed because of in front of everybody, after you made a big deal about going and sitting in the big chair, you're going to have to get up and go over here and sit in the little chair because there was somebody more distinguished. <laughs> but here's what he said in verse 10. He says, but when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. Why? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I, don't, I, I want to step out of this message for just a second. I want to talk to... I'm for half a second, I'm going to talk to some of our teenagers. I want to talk to young, our, our young folks, our young adults, and, and all of us too. This is a life lesson. This is a life lesson about don't try to make more out of yourself going in situations. You know what? We used to have an old saying about it. You used to hear people say, don't toot your own horn. That was, that's a great life lesson. Look, let other people. Jesus said, if you show up and make a big deal about it, I'm here. I'm it. I'm here. And somebody else that's way more important, maybe in their estimate, is showing up too. And, and then all of a sudden they come in, and you was tooting your horn, but everybody's tooting the other person's horn. He says, instead, you go in and be humble. You show up, hey, I'm, I'm just going to sit over here. No, 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 hey, hey, I, we got a special place for you. Man, you're our guest. We want you to come sit over here. He says, because when you exalt yourself, you're going to get humbled. But when you go in with humility, then you'll be exalted. Our pride in our pursuit of the kingdom of God. Sometimes we get all proud about how far we've come in our spiritual life. Now, I'm not talking about pride in that you are, you are glad and thankful for the progress you've made. I'm talking about you become arrogant about the progress that you've made. Or, oh, I have mastered that in my life. I don't know why they're struggling with it so much. I'll see, that. see, that pride needs to go away. Because the pursuit of the kingdom of God is going to be to those who are humble. Because those who are self-exalted, you know, the Bible says pride goes before fall. You know, I, I, I saw a, um, a minister do this one time. He said, he said I, I need Bird to illustrate this. I'm sorry, this wasn't him, this, I wasn't going to use him for an illustration. But, so I need Bird to stand up and walk to the end of the, he needs to go to the end of the thing right there. Okay, so Bird... Give us a proud walk. What's, what's proud people do? What's proud people do? Proud people. Yep. Poke it. Poke it. And, and don't we always talk about people looking down their nose at folks? So proud people get that nose up in there, right? All right. So give us a proud walk. You got to give us a proud walk. No, no, no. You, you, you. There you go. Look at it. 
Now, you know what happens sometimes when, and I saw this, because when you, it's, it's rough up here, because when you start getting that proud walk, you put, putting that chest out, putting that nose up in there, and I, you know what happens? You trip. You trip. It, was, it was a really great illustration, thank you, Bert, that, that he goes, pride goes before a fall. Because you're not paying attention, you're so exalted in you that you're not paying attention to what's happening around you, and you just trip and fall on your face. Pride needs to be done away with in our pursuit of Christ. Rewards have to be done away with. We need to forsake the idea of rewards. We're just going to move forward in Luke chapter 14. We're just going to go from verse 11 to verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him. So Jesus is at a dinner. And he says to the guy that invited him, he said, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Why? Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. You get rewarded for what you did. But, what did he say do? But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You know why that we have difficulty with stuff like this? Well, one thing, one thing is because of the first issue, because of our pride. You know, man, I don't want them people coming in my house. Let's be honest, man, I'm in, I'm in one of them straight up, lay it on the line honest things today. You know, just no, no, no frills. We, man, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want I don't, those folks. I mean, coming, coming into my house or coming and doing this or coming. I, I, you're going to invite the poor and the crippled. You know, the second reason why? Because you don't know any of those folks. Well, you know, it makes me want to shout hallelujah. Oh, that's what we like. We like that. Oh, that's a great song. Then when we say, and we, oh, Lord, if you can use anything, Lord, just use me. And he says, okay, so I want you to reach the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and all the folks that are in great need. Well, God, can you use me in some other way? Because that wasn't exactly what I was thinking about. You're going to lay that pride down. You're going to go get rid of the idea of reward. Here's what he gives. He says, hey, but in both cases, you're going to be rewarded. Although, honestly, if we look at the wording... He kind of doesn't say you're going to be rewarded in both cases. If you really got rewarded for something, all right, let's say that somebody puts a, uh, they put a, they've got one right now. There's, an, there's a little posting up on a, on a uh, telephone pole in our neighborhood. Somebody's lost their cat. At this point, I think the cat's gone. I just want you to know because the posting's been up for a month. Cat's gone. But anyway, they, they got a posting up for, you know, that, uh, missing and they got the picture of the cat i don't know how they got the cat to pose for that selfie because i mean the cat's just staring right at the camera it's awesome but they got a picture of the cat missing and and i think it says reward i can't remember if it tells how much or whatever well honestly if somebody says well i'm, I'm gonna give somebody 250 dollars if it'll lead to the to the return of my beloved fluffy i need fluffy back 250 dollars now, here's the reality. Is that piece of information, is it really worth $250? You say, well, it is to that person because they love Fluffy. And they want Fluffy back. And so they're going to give you $200. Well, that's a reward because honestly, just sharing that information is not really worth $250. But you get rewarded far and above. But here's the thing. What if, what if 
I said, if you go spend $100 on this, I will repay you the $100. You didn't really gain anything. And he said, he said, look, if you go invite all of these people, he said, then they're going to invite you in return, and you will be repaid. No gain. Repaid. But if you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, you will be blessed. Not repaid. You will be blessed, which I am telling you in God, however he chooses to bless you, I don't know what it's going to be. Don't, don't let somebody convince you that, well, you go spend $100, God's going to bless you by tenfold over, and you're going to get a, you know, $1,000. That's not what he, he may bless you in many different ways. But he says, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So you will be blessed and repaid. Man, that's... mm. The third thing that, that we have to surrender is worldly desires. We're just going on to verse 16. So you've got to get this. This is a continuation. He is teaching them through a series of things that he is saying, hey, this is the stuff you need to get rid of. Verse 16, and he said to him, this is Jesus speaking again to the man who has invited him to this, to this, this banquet, where he is. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. In other words, he went out there and he rang, rang the triangle and he said, come and get it. Sorry, I just had to bring it home for us. Verse 18. But they all alike, all of them in a similar fashion, began to make excuses. The first one said to him, Well, man, I bought some property and I got to go see it. Can you let me out of coming to this fantastic, amazing, you have severely prepared for banquet? I, I need out of it because I got to go check out some property that I bought. Verse 19, and another one said, I bought five yokes of oxen. Look, I just picked up five cars at the auto auction. I just got five tractors that I picked up. That'd probably be more after oxen, you know, tractors. I've got to go examine them. I've got to go test them out. I'm sorry, I can't make it to this fantastic banquet that you've spent so much time having everyone prepare for. Can you... Can you excuse me? I mean, I'm sorry. I just got something I got to take care of. And another one said, he started blaming his wife. I have married a wife, and therefore I can't come. She won't let me go anywhere. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he was saying she won't let me go, or she takes up all my time, or I got to keep my eye on her. I don't know what the deal was. I don't know why he couldn't take, him, take her with him, you know, but he says, I've I, I married a wife, and therefore I can't come. I bought a field, I bought some oxen, and I got a wife. Can't do anything. <laughs> Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, then go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Now I want you to go ahead while we're going through this. I want you to get the parallel. He's, at, he's really, Jesus is really talking to them about, I came to my own and my own received me not. He's talking about that he came to the Jewish people that he was a part of. He invited them, and they had all these reasons why. So he says, now you go out and get the Gentiles. 
You go out and get all these people that would not have been invited, but because my own people didn't want to be invited, they didn't want to come. You go out and you go into the quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The same folks that he said, don't invite all your friends because they're just going to repay you. Go invite the people that are in need. Look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm going to digress for just a moment. I think there's too many times that we in the church world are spending too much time just going from church to church and wanting to just spend time with people that are believers and then we just repay each other. And yes, we encourage each other. We need that. That is something we need because honestly, I don't think we, at times we actually spend the true one-on-one time that we should with each other. But in reality, we, oh, I went to a church event, I went to a revival, I went to a singing, I went to this. But yet, all that's doing is encouraging people that are already in the kingdom of God. And yet the blind and the crippled and the lame and the poor that need us, they need our interaction, they need us to be involved in their life. Why? Because we have the answer in Jesus Christ. We have connections to things on a pure social level that they need connection to. We have knowledge and abilities and exposure to things that they do not have the access to that we can provide in the name of Jesus Christ. And he says, these are the ones that you need to go out. And he says, go out and bring them in. In verse 22, the servant said to him, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. (laughs) And the master said to the servant, All right then, go from right here in town in these areas. I want you to go all the way out into the highways and the hedges. All right, I'm just going to mess with you for just a moment. What kind of people would be hiding in the hedges along the highway? Lepers, robbers, people maybe up to no good, all kind of different. People didn't want to be seen. You know what? I think sometimes that we, if we're not careful, we will pursue after people that it's okay for us to be seen with. We will pursue after the ones that, hey, they're right here around. But he says, hey, I want you to now move and branch out behind. I mean, you already covered the poor, the lame, the blind, all this stuff. And he says, hey, now I want you to move out because that's people with physical things and stuff that maybe even in being impoverished that they didn't even bring on themselves. Now I want you to go out in the highways. I want you to find strangers and people that's hiding in the bushes. I want you to bring them all in. Compel them to come in. He didn't say just go out and make an invitation. I want you to compel them to come in. I want you to encourage them. I almost want you to forcefully be, be, be passionate about saying, you need to come to my master's banquet that he's prepared. Because he has gone to all this effort to make this ready. And we have plenty of room. There is enough for everyone. You need to come. Why? So that my house may be filled. He says, I don't want all this empty space. Oh, man, there's a message in that. I could preach that one right there. He says, I don't want to just be sitting here with all this empty space in my house. I've prepared this for people to be here. I've prepared this for there to be folks sitting here that never thought they were going to be in that place where the master had prepared this banquet. But I want you to go and passionately encourage people to come in so that it will fill up. Because why should I have all this space if I don't have people in it? Think about that, guys. Look around. Look around you right now. Take a moment. Look around. 
Why have we prepared this place? Why have we said that God led us to this place? We should not be satisfied with empty chairs. And y'all know my heart. Not because I'm not looking for an offering. I'm not looking for any of that stuff. I don't need that. That's not what we're talking about. But if Jesus uses an example and says, hey, I've got all this space. I've got all this preparation. I want the house to be filled in that example. Then I'm just going to tell you, then guys, it needs to be on our heart. Then we need to go into the highways and the hedges and to the poor and the blind and the lame. And we need to compel them to come in. Are they going to look like the people? You get this. Now you just hear Jesus is laying it on the line. Are they going to look like the people that he also wanted to invite? He invited people that were rich. He invited people that were well-to-do. He invited people that had. But then he said, they're not coming, and i got space left, so I want, come unto me all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me even if you have no money and buy from me. I mean, listen to all this stuff. He's saying, fill the place up. And it may not look like what you thought it was going to look like. But it is people that need. If we're going to pursue the kingdom of God, it's not just about us getting there, guys. It's not just about you making sure that you get there. It's not just about me making sure I get there. It's about being able to go because we're the servant and he's the master and he has said to us, go into all the world and make disciples. In other words, go into all the world and tell them you need to come to my father's house. And I'm not talking about just church, guys. I'm talking about coming into the kingdom of God to the banquet that he has prepared, which is for you to feed your soul, which is dying of malnourishment because they don't have Jesus Christ. I had to stop and ask myself, was there anything wrong with buying a field? Or was there anything wrong with buying oxen or marrying a wife? Well, no. No. Nothing wrong with any of those. Everything wrong with them if they come between you and your relationship with Christ and pursuit of the kingdom. The fourth thing. We're just, we're just continuing on through Luke 14. Oh, this one's tough now. Somebody's going, wait just a minute. He put family up there. You just hold on. Don't leave now. Verse 25. And it's still a continuation now. So he's been at this guy's house, and he's talking, and all of a sudden it just, a great crowd's accompanied him. By the way, there's a lesson for you. Jesus drew people. He was controversial, that people, but Jesus drew people. He even drew crowds to follow him of people that didn't like him and hated him, but they still were drawn to him and to the words that he said, even if they were arguing with him. I'll tell you what, I'll take God sending some people that are coming in and pursuing and are struggling through and they want to come hash it out, you know, if, if they're pursuit after trying to understand what it is about, because God's drawing people. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Oh. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. So Jesus is walking along, and, and he's got an entourage. He's got this great crowd of people just following him wherever he goes. 
Talking about people worried about paparazzi and all this stuff because they're stars. Jesus walking along, and, and everybody don't like him. They don't all want to take a selfie with him or anything like that now. Some of them want to stone him. Some of them want to, they just want to argue. They want to prove he's wrong. But they're going, and they're hearing the message. The seed's getting planted. So Jesus is walking along, and there's a great crowd, and all of a sudden he stops. Can you imagine? They just all. He turns around, and he says to them, If anybody comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if you wanted to have a message series on difficult passages of the Bible, here's one of them. Wait just a minute. Jesus turned around and tells a whole crowd of people, hey, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to ad-lib for Jesus. You just understand, but... But I, it, mentally, it's almost like, okay, all of y'all are following me around. But if you really want to follow me, then you're going to have to hate your father and your mother and your wife and your children and your brother and your sisters. Yes, and even your own life. You go, whoa. Because if you don't, you cannot be my disciple. He doesn't say, well, you can't be one of my best disciples. Or you can't be one of my one of my better disciples, or you can't be in the top tier. He says you can't be a disciple, period. Nada. There's no, well, we got the first tier guys, and that's all the preachers and all those folks, and they really pursue after God, you know, and all that, because that's what some people believe. But all the rest of us, we kind of do the best we can, you know. And no, he says, here's the deal. Now we got to, we've got to understand this. What is he talking about? He's going to hate my father. My, you're saying that. God wants you to hate. Look, here was, the, here was the comparison that he was drawing. Your love and pursuit for God will be so passionate that in comparison to how you are towards your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers, sisters, and that you may be showing great and wonderful love toward, but your pursuit of God is so much more powerful than that that it would be the equivalent of on a natural level of seeing somebody that loved somebody and hated somebody. He's not talking about you need to, you need to hate them and mistreat them. and all. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about your pursuit of him. Remember, we're going through this continuation of stuff that he's talking about. He's talking about, hey, don't pursue after, don't, don't let your pride get in the way. Don't let rewards be something that you're in pursuit of. He's already used the example several times of how people were allowing these other things to come between them and following him. Right? Hey, you know, I, I, I just got married. I can't. All right, there's there's, there's your, your wife coming between your spouse. It doesn't have to be that it's a woman. Your spouse, male, female, either one, coming between even your own life. We're going to see that in another scripture, but even your own life. So, no, God's not saying... The, the idea of hate here is not uh, the idea of hatred toward. It is that your pursuit and your passion for the kingdom of God, for Jesus Christ himself, if you're going to be his disciple, you have to be willing for none of those things to come between you and God. And quite honestly, the world might look when you don't allow those things to come between you and God, they might look and say, you're being hateful toward them. I can't believe you won't give in. I can't believe you won't stop going to church because your wife or your husband doesn't like it. And they say they don't want you going back to church anymore. And they don't want you to go to church or they're going to leave you. 
Now, we're just going to talk real stuff today. Well, are you, are you going to please God or are you going to please man? I'm just being real. We're just being real now. Oh, well, well, you know, my children, my children got off into this sin, and they're off serving in that stuff. And I know that, that six months ago when they weren't in that, I would have said, yeah, the Bible says that that's wrong. But now that's my child, and I just can't believe that God, but we'll see, there's your first. There's the first mistake. So I just can't believe. What does the Word say? See, it, your pursuit of God is going to have to be to the point where that you look and say, look, I love you. I love you as my child. I love you as my friend. But I am not going to condone what it is that you're doing. Because your sin is sin. And your sin is wrong. But I love you. My love for you hadn't changed. Because that's what God has told us. That is that agape love that is unconditional love. That's where we've messed up in our world in taking a stand against certain things. Is we turn around and don't act in a loving fashion in the same way. We say crazy stuff that we really don't live out. We say you need to love the sinner but hate the sin. I wish that we just acted that way. I wish that that's really how our lives played out, that we sacrificially loved people the way that Jesus Christ did because the Bible says that he gave himself even while we were yet in sin. He looked at us. He saw us in our sin. He saw us in our, our, you know, our refusal and rejection of him. And yet he died for us because he so loved the world that whosoever would believe in him. I don't think we at times grasp the passion that God is expecting us to have about our relationship with him. That's what this verse is about. This verse is about that our passion for him has to be so much greater that nothing will come between that. We won't surrender our belief in Christ. We won't surrender our life in Christ for these other things, as wonderful as they are, as wonderful as people are. There will be people today, maybe even right now, somewhere in the world, they are facing the decision of, we're going to kill your child. We're going to kill your wife. We're going to do other things that I'm going to speak to your wife here in front of you. And they're challenged. Either do this, deny Christ, or we're going to do these things. And can you imagine having to sit there and say, I am not going to deny Christ. It may appear that I hate my child or I hate my wife because I won't do this, but my pursuit of Jesus Christ and my, my relationship to him, I could not live with myself or die with myself knowing that I surrendered up the thing that I have said would change our lives for eternity. And so it may appear that I hate my child. It may appear that I hate my wife, but I, the love that Jesus Christ had is the same way that people would say, how could God allow his son to be sacrificed for other people? Because there was something bigger. There was something that was necessary to be committed to. It was something that you would sell everything and give up everything you had in order to buy the field and to buy the pearl of great price. Someone could take this verse and they could look at that person today that, that in some country is going to make a choice and say, I cannot deny the Savior of my soul, Jesus Christ. And then these things happen to their child and happen to their family. And people say, it's as if you hated them. 
Jesus said, if your pursuit of me is not such that in that type of situation that you could sit there, but you had to say, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. The one that loved me and gave himself for me. And I cannot stop being his disciple in this moment. The fifth thing that he tells us, we're going to go to verse 27, is we tend, we're going to have to give up our cross avoidance. Verse 27 says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Wow, he just went back to back, guys, with you can't be my disciple statements. If you want to come to me, but you're not willing for every other relationship to be so less important, if you will. He's not saying that they're not important. He's just saying that in comparison to your relationship to me then you can't be my disciple. And then he follows that up with whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's two criteria that is given in this statement. He says, one, you have to bear your cross. We're going to talk about that because that's been misinterpreted and misapplied many, many times. And the second one is that you have to be following after Christ. He said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me. He doesn't say you get to take up your cross. He doesn't say you get to just come after me. You've got to take up your cross and come after me. Because if you don't, you can't be my disciple. And a lot of people have so misinterpreted this statement and go, oh, um, well, you know, yeah, I'm bearing my cross because I work at a job where people d- dislike Christians. Sorry, not what the Bible's talking about. That's not it. Well, I have, the, I have an illness. I have a situation in my family. I have, sorry, it's not what he's talking about. I'm not saying that we figuratively don't sometimes view those as being burdens, obviously, and, and, and we say it's a cross. That is not what he's talking about. I'm not saying we don't bear those things. That is not what this verse is talking about. That is us using our very sanitized view of the cross, and we just make it a burden. All right? We, we, we view the cross nowadays, we find it to be something beautiful. Right? We, and, but we, we see that. But let's, let's be honest. In their time and in their understanding, the cross was not beautiful. The cross was an implement of torture. The cross symbolized death. It did not symbolize a burden. It symbolized you're going to die. You're going to be tortured in the process. Because they didn't, they didn't want to just hang you up there and, and, whoop, and, and you die. No, remember, they're up there, and there's three of these guys. They're piercing them in the side. They're doing all kind of stuff. They would often break the legs so that you could no longer push up with your feet on the cross to be able to breathe because the hanging actually would collapse your chest to the point that... You couldn't breathe, so they'd break your legs where that you couldn't push up to breathe anymore, and you would basically asphyxiate. You, you'd, you'd strangle almost on your own, but you couldn't breathe. It was torture. It was death. He wasn't talking about a burden. He wasn't talking about you need to take up your burden. When he said this to them, they understood that bearing a cross meant carrying your own execution device while facing ridicule along the way to death. 
They would stand along the roadside as, as these prisoners, just like they did, and they would ridicule that, you, oh, yeah, you're going to die, murderer, killer, whatever it was. When They knew when he said, if you're not willing to take up and, and the very instrument that you're going to die on. We need to, remember Paul said, I die to myself daily. It wasn't, he, they didn't get this, this visual image of Jesus saying, oh yeah, you need to take up your burden. There's going to be some difficult times and people are going to come make fun of you. No. When he said, if you won't carry your own cross, he was speaking to people that didn't believe that they had done anything wrong. He was even speaking to people that, hey, I'm not that bad a person. I'm not that bad. And, and he says, no, you're going to have to understand that in the eyes of God, your sin has made you like a criminal who is worthy of taking up a cross and dying. He says, you're going to have to be prepared that you're going to take that up and say, God, I'm willing to die for you. And I'm willing to take the ridicule in the process that while I'm dying to myself and I'm dying to my sin, that I may be made fun of, but I'm going to commit and I will be in pursuit of you because he said take up your cross and follow me one other passage to end Luke chapter 9 verses 57 through 62 as they were going along the road somebody said to him speaking to Jesus I'll follow you wherever you go Jesus said to him foxes have holes and birds there have nests but son of man has nowhere to lay his head we've always taken that scripture and just pulled it out and used it for other stuff he was actually replying back to them when they said, oh, I'm going to follow you. And here's what he said. He basically said, well, if you're not willing to forsake your house and your land. Wait a minute. He's already said that before, hadn't he? We just read that in a whole passage. He, he says to this guy, he says, well, hey, guess what? If you're going to follow me, I don't have anywhere to stay. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, well, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, really what he's saying is, is, hey, you know, it's not a good time. I need to go because, you know, at some point my dad's going to die and I'm trying to take care of him. You know, I need to go. And then once that happens, then I can come and follow you. Well, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is compassionate. When he, when he tells somebody, follow me, and they say, God, I can't do that right now because i got something going on, Jesus just gets all compassionate. And he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to understand something powerful out of what he says right here. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. What's he saying? He's talking in the spiritual while this guy's talking in the natural. This guy's going, well, but my dad's going to die at some point, and I need to take care of that. And, all this. and God's, not, God's not telling him, hey, don't make sure your dad's taken care of God says, hey, I tell you what, you're worried about being over here with people that are spiritually dead. Let the ones that are spiritually dead take care of the ones that are spiritually dead. I'm calling you to go and proclaim, not, not me. <laughs> not, he says, I, you need to understand a bigger picture here. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Notice how all these parables, and the kingdom of God is like, and the kingdom of God is like, and the kingdom of God was like. And he says, so go proclaim the kingdom of God. Well, another guy says to him, I'll follow you, Lord, but you got to let me first go say farewell to those at my home. <laughs> Jesus said to him, nobody who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He says, you, you, you put your hand here on the plow and said, I'm ready to follow you. But hang on. I, 
oh, but I need, to go, I need to go take care of some stuff at the house first. He says, you put your hand to the plow and said, I'm ready to go with you. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to do this thing. I'm ready to plant seed. I'm ready to prepare the field so that the message goes forth. So you, you fault started on me. You put your hand to the plow. We've always just taken that verse and used it to tell people all kind of stuff. But it's in direct response to a guy saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to follow you, but, but I, gotta go. I got some things I got to go do first. I shared something with Michelle I think it was Friday. I think it was Friday. I asked somebody to comment to her. I said, man, this would make a great YouTube video or something for me to put on Facebook now. And I just kind of, you know, didn't, didn't fool with it anymore. And then I was looking at something this morning on, actually on Facebook. And um, when I saw it, it was just a confirmation of what I had, what I had got to put in my heart. This is almost how I would sum up this whole message and this, this parable. It's a man that finds a treasure in a field, sells all that he has, and goes to buy it. It's a man who is in pursuit of pearls, but finds the one pearl. I said to Michelle, we listened to a, actually a statement from, uh, from Charles Barkley, of all people. Charles Barkley was talking about activism. And he said, everybody can call themselves an activist. They get on television, whatever else. I want to know what you're doing. What have you done to be an activist? What have you done to... And I told myself, I said, I'm concerned. That's one of the concerns I have in the church world right now. Is that we have... We say things. We say that we, that we believe this about God. We say we believe this about ministering to those who are the less fortunate. We say that we believe these other things. But our belief is not somehow ending up in action. And that is what Jesus keeps saying to these guys. Oh, you say you want to follow me, but you want to go back and do this stuff. You say you want to follow me, but you got to go take care of this first. You say you want to follow me, but, but not right now. Belief, if you really believe, has to result in action. Jesus says, if you truly believed in the treasure, then you'd sell all you had to buy the field. If you truly believed in the worth of the one pearl, then you'd sell everything you had and pursue the one. So my question to us today is this. If we truly believe in the value of the kingdom of God, if we truly believe in the value of what Jesus Christ has called us to do, if we truly believe in the mandate of the kingdom to go and make disciples, then what are we doing? Are we willing for everything else? I'm not talking about you're, you're, you, you, don't, you stop working or you don't. Man, don't go off the deep end with that. What we're talking about is, is our pursuit of the kingdom of God the number one priority in our lives? And therefore, it will order all the other things in our lives. It will get everything else in the right perspective. It will put our relationship to our family in the right place because in the pursuit of the kingdom of God, we're going to find what God tells us and how we ought to be about our families. If, our, if you say, well, your marriage is going to come into alignment because we're going to see what he tells us and how we ought to react with our wives or with our husbands. We're going to see how we ought to react with our children. We're going to see how we ought to react with the poor. We're going to see how we ought to react with the lost. Belief has to equal action. And so today... This is where I ended up. Last slide. I ended up with this thought. This was my proclamation. God, I commit myself today to come into wholehearted pursuit of the kingdom of God.
And so therefore, show me your way. Let's pray.